Here's a simple question. Who was Jesus? Perhaps you're thinking, well, that's a silly question. Everyone knows who Jesus is. But then how do we explain how people can have so many varied descriptions of who Jesus was? And what if the Jesus you think you know is not the Jesus found in the Bible? Welcome to Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, you came back. You must be having a little bit of fun with our program. I am. I'm enjoying it. I, it's, it's a lot of fun to get together and talk about these topics. Are, are you enjoying it? I'm having a great time, but then I don't have to have the answers. I just have to crave the answers, so my job's pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about our topic for today. The question is, who was Jesus? Is that question a simple one or a messy one? Uh, th- those, it's a messy one. Anytime you're asking who is another human being, it's never simple especially one separated from us by 2,000 years, even though there is a massive amount of contemporary literature written about him in the four Gospels. And also another element of the messiness is that he's become so important culturally that everybody seems to want a slice of him and to kind of shape and mold and fashion him, you know, after their own interpretation. That adds another element of the mess to it. But yeah, it's not, a, it was certainly not a, it's not even a simple question, who is my wife? I don't even know if I've got a great answer for that, let alone somebody like Jesus. So let's take your pastor hat off for just a second. Sure. Uh, just step into the shoes of uh, typical Christian people. Having a conversation, we're talking about Jesus. I'm telling you who I think Jesus is, and you're thinking, this guy has no clue who Jesus is. This guy is way out in the left field. How are you going to handle that? Yeah, well, so Christians and uh, non-Christians as well, if, if somebody says to me, you know, I don't know, like, how do I know more about Jesus? Or if somebody says, well, I think Jesus was fill in the blank, and there's an infinite number of those blanks out there. I would say, well, the first place, of course, to start is the primary documents, and uh, by which I mean... Um, not so I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Christian gospels in the New Testament, which uh, tell uh, which are announcements of who Jesus was, what he claimed to be, and what he did. Not just that though, but the actual whole uh, backdrop of Jesus, the the Hebrew Bible, what Christians call the Old Testament. I would say the first place to start is to like you got to read the Old Testament and you got to fill yourself up on. Uh, the worldview and the hopes and the dreams and uh, the fears that are embodied there, if you're really going to understand. And that, one of the reasons why many Christians don't really have a firm grasp on who Jesus was is they don't really read the Old Testament. Well, you lost me. The Old Testament. Why do you want me to read the Old Testament? I mean, we're New Testament people, right? Jesus is described in the New Testament. The, you got to go to the Gospels. That's where you're going to find out who Jesus is. You want me to read the Old Testament? I don't think it's going to happen. Oh, well, um, you really can't understand somebody who somebody is without their context. And, you know, to go back to my wife, I, you know, if, I, if I'm talking to her and she starts to tell me of a story from her childhood or something that happened to her mom when her mom was growing up, it, I, I would be a poor listener indeed if I said to her, well, well, well hold on, hold on a second. 
Like, I'm not interested in the past. What's going on with you now? Because the reason why she's telling me these background stories is because that actually who she, that, that's actually who she is. And in fact, this is, this is what we do. As human beings, when I meet somebody and I say, you know, hey, uh, Chuck, my name's Aaron. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. You wouldn't say, my favorite color is red. I live in fill in the blank. Uh, my favorite car is, you wouldn't give me a list of things about yourself. You would start to tell me your story. You would start to tell me where you came from and how you grew up, and you would give me the background. And that's exactly what the Old Testament is. It's, the, it's, it's, the, it's humanity's background. It's especially, specifically, it's the nation of Israel and eventually Judah. It's their story. And when Jesus shows up, if he's going to say, if he's going to claim to be the apex of the story of Israel, the climax of the story that God is telling in the Old Testament, we're not going to get where he's coming from at all if we don't actually go back to the story that he's claiming to fulfill to find out what it is. So you're telling me I can find Jesus in the Old Testament? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're going to need to read, uh, you, you know, you know, Angela, my wife Angela, isn't just stories about her mom growing up. I'm going to need to have a conversation with what happened in her day-to-day, day-to-day. But uh, yeah, you, you can't know Jesus just from the four Gospels. You can't know Jesus just from the Old Testament. It's the story. It's the whole story of the Old Testament with the story of the Gospels as the climax. So thinking about your own circle of of friends or close friends, perhaps uh, people who worship at your church, how many of them, oh, this is probably an unfair question, out of 10, how many out of 10 have a pretty good handle on who Jesus was? Uh... Well, that is a good question, and I think you're right. It is an unfair, unfair. question because I, I don't want anybody sitting there thinking. I would do. I mean, so the follow up question is: Do I even have a good handle on it? I want to, but I don't. I, I don't. There's something that drives me to keep on having conversations with Angela. Besides, just it gets lonely sitting around here in silence. I actually I want to know her more and more. So before I answer that question, I would, I would just say, I, I myself am in the boat of like, I crave more knowledge of this person who I've come to care deeply about. So I, I don't, I, I'm certain I don't have a handle on. Also, uh, here's the classic Christian problem for those people who are uh, doubting out there or struggling with faith, or maybe they're agnostic. This is one of their main beefs with uh, Christians, and rightly so sometimes, is that we take Jesus and we say, oh, I do know him, and here's what he is. You know, we wrap him up nice and tight, and we put him in our back pocket, and we pull him out whenever we want to beat somebody over the head with him. But he's—you just can't do that with another person. He's—he's he's his own—he's his own individual. He's—he does what he wants. And so, for me to come, for me to come to know him more and more is a lifelong pursuit. I'll never get there. I'll never get there. So, I, as a Christian, believe in the new creation when Jesus finally reveals Himself again and makes all things new. I still won't know Him perfectly then. I won't know my wife perfectly then. That's part of the fun of being a human is that our knowledge is limited. And so uh, the prospect of getting to learn more and more about something as infinite as another human being is a rich thing. I had to go back to your question about people in my church. Um, I don't know. It would be unfair to say, you know, two out of 10. I, I, okay, I, guilty. I'm, I'm guilty. I, I accept the uh, unfair question uh, accusation. It's It's valid. And I knew it when I asked it, so yeah. um, let's... Well, I'm glad you asked it, because for me, I need to be challenged again to go back to who Jesus was and what, I, you know, 
I'm glad you challenged me because my like my 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 mo is to to drift into this. Well, I'm a pastor. I'm paid to know who Jesus is, right? And so, of course, I do. And I, I'm glad that you bring something like that that up that challenges me. That no, you don't necessarily know who Jesus is. It's you're you're still in the process of learning him more and more. So I appreciate it. Suppose I say something like, "I believe Jesus was a good man, a good teacher, yeah. even a good role model." Yeah. You ever hear that before? Oh yeah, that's classic. That's that's as old as the Enlightenment. Um, th- this is the the Jesus of Thomas Jefferson, right? And um, um, what we call liberal Christianity. And when I say that, I want our listeners to know I don't mean politically liberal. We've talked about that in past podcasts, but theologically liberal. A Jesus who there's nothing really distinctive about him in terms of um, his power or his origins or his relationship with God the Father. But he was a wise man, a, a, a good man, a kind man. Um, yeah, that's very, very common. You know, so what, I mean, so what, I, what I'm tempted to do here is to say a couple things. First of all, yeah, that's true. He, he is a wise man and a good man and a good teacher. As long as we understand uh, that, that what what he means by good might be different. You know, he's not he's not going around pet, petting little babies on the head. Sometimes he says things that are incredibly harsh, I- incredibly brutal. You know, uh, he says to his his best friends at one point, "You fools, how slow you are to see." And you know, he can be insulting. He goes into the temple at one point and starts being physically violent, throwing out money changers. So as long as we understand that he gets to define what good is, and we don't. The other thing to, that I'm tempted to do is to bring out the old C.S. Lewis chestnut about it's not possible to say he's merely a good man. He claims to be God. He so there's some debate about how, you know how much he claims to be God, but I think it, it, at least it's clear from the story that other people think he's God, and he doesn't he doesn't disabuse them of that notion. So there's other people who think, for instance. Uh, um, uh, his 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 friends. He performs a certain miracle, and his friends bow down and worship him. And any self-respecting Jewish male, any self-respecting human male, would say at that point, "Get up! Like I'm just a dude." And he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. There's several instances like this. So, here's the C.S. Lewis chestnut. The man claims to be God. It's not possible for him to be merely a good man. He's either God or he's the most evil man in the history of the world. He's, he's an exceptional monomaniac on Adolf Hitler territory. Or he's just nutso. He's just a lunatic. One of those three things. It's clear from his teachings that he's, he's, he's too in touch with reality outside of himself. To be insane, you know, C.K. Chesterton says, G.K. Chesterton says that um, insanity is a certain logical wisdom, but turned in on yourself so that everything is about you. He's not like that. So our t- our two choices basically in the story are well, now there's a third one that C.S. Lewis didn't mention, which we can talk about if you want. Is either he's God or he's the most evil man in the history of the world. The other option is this: is that the parts that talk about him being nice are real. That's who he was. The parts where he says things like, no man comes to the Father except through me, that was made up later on. 
by his wacko followers and inserted later. Uh, it just seems so transparently obvious to me that that's just trying to avoid the issue. You, have, you know, you have, a, you have a, a story, the story of the four Gospels. I don't think that anybody gets to go through and say, the parts I like are true. This is Thomas, Thomas Jefferson, did, if you remember, with his Bible. The parts he liked, he left in. The parts he didn't like, he took out. Well, it's, it's not the way the world works. You don't get to decide what's real and what's not real just because you don't like it. As an um, illustration from a sermon recently, it's like, uh, you know, it's like a tidal wave. You might not like a tidal wave. It might be offensive to you that tidal waves kill people and are so brutal. But it's, it's, it's the height of foolishness to stand on the shore and shake your fist at it and say, I refuse to believe in you. That's, that's a good way to get drowned, right? And so that's the way it is with Jesus, too. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, I'm thinking that it, for those moments when we occasionally get into a discussion with somebody about who Jesus was, it's not uncommon to hear the claim, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Right, yeah. Yeah, you've heard that? Oh, I, for sure, for sure. And how do you respond to that? Uh, so does, does Jesus ever come right out and say, listen up, people, I am God? He doesn't. And, and you know, what are the reasons for that? It's, it's hard to say because it's hard to like demonstrate what somebody's doing when they don't do something. Um, my guess is that what was important for Jesus at that point was not that people knew know that he was God, but that he do what he had been sent by God to do, which was to bring about God's own kingdom. To, to, to make an announcement in Galilee in the year 30 AD, I am God, was a sure way to be stoned on the spot. However, like I said, there's so many implications where he, he's worshipped and he doesn't refuse the worship. Another, another example is uh, he... Uh, um, he he heals a man who is lame, and he says to the man, "Your sins are forgiven you." And the the religious people around him say, "Hey, well, hold up, buddy! You're not allowed to say that." And they actually say, "Only God can forgive sins. You're not permitted to say that." And he basically says, "Well, well," he says, "What's easier? What do you think? What should I do? Should I? I could tell this guy your sins are forgiven, or I could say." Get up from your bed and walk. It doesn't make any difference to me. You know, six and one half dozen is basically what he says. You guys decide. What do you want me to say? Basically, what he's saying is this. He doesn't actually say there, I am God, you know. But he basically says, I'm going to forgive this guy's sins. The guy who's able to, with a word, restore strength to his lame legs. Maybe he's the kind of guy who can forgive sins. You do the math. <laughs> you know, you, you do the math. What, what do you think? That's, you know, and, and so he, all kinds of implications like that. And um, he never one time disabuses his, oh, he, does, he does many things, simple things that mere humans can't do or shouldn't be doing. Uh, for instance, another for instance, when he heals people who are ritually unclean, according to Jewish law, he will consistently put himself in contact with them. He will touch a leper. Now, under, underneath the, the way that humanity normally works, somebody who's unclean transmits that uncleanness to the person who touched them, right? This is so we're uh, um, uh, again not to time stamp this too much, but we're in the middle of a uh, midst of a global pandemic right now. We try to avoid being around people who are sick because we understand sick people make healthy people sick. Healthy people don't make sick people healthy, and yet 
Jesus insists on touching these ritually unclean people, making the point that I don't fall into the same category. I have a genuinely original life power flowing through me that I can actually transmit to people who are sick. That's something that the normal human being doesn't do. Jesus once responded to a request from his apostles, I believe. They said, show us the Father. And he said, if you've seen me, you've right. seen the Father. Yeah. Is that another way of saying, I am God? Yeah, again, it's not... It's an implied divine claim. You know, you wouldn't say... He doesn't actually come right out and say, I am God. So, so you know, what, what you're getting here at, Chuck, is really good. I, you know, every year around Easter, I'm always excited. Oh, that's probably a bit sarcastic. I'm always excited to see, you know, the 60 Minutes uh, pieces that are going to come out. And Was Jesus who he claimed to be? The story you've never heard and stuff like that. And they say the same thing every year, you know. He never claimed to be God. And they always interview the guys from the Jesus Seminar who have a lot at stake here. These are the guys who, uh, you know, they... they they, they judge with colors, statements that Jesus made or stories about him that are likely to be true. And of course, the stories where he said, come, where he says, you know, gentle, kind things, um, those are obviously true, according to the Jesus Seminar. Stories about Jesus where he uh, raises people from the dead, story about himself rising from the dead, stories where he says things like you just mentioned, no man's seen the Father. Uh, if, if anybody's seen me, they've seen the Father. Um, those are clearly not true, according to the Jesus Seminar. Well, that's just, I, it's, I think that's loading, that, that, that's loading your argument to match up with what, what, the result that you want. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. You know, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Is that a real, real in-your-face claim to divinity? No, but it's not the kind of thing that a normally sane human being would say about God if they didn't really believe that they were in some sense connected to him in a powerful, intimate way that's not true of other human beings, even human beings who are close to that God. Correct me if I, my understanding of this story is, is not right, but I think when Jesus was on trial on Thursday night, um, I think that he w- was being questioned by the religious authorities and in the answers he gave, they concluded that he claimed to be God. And if I remember correctly, the high priest tore his clothes because he thought that was it. Uh, why do we have to have any more witnesses? Why do we have to have any more questions? This is blasphemy. Yeah. So it seems to me that if they thought he was claiming to be God, right. why would we be saying now 2,000 years later that no, he wasn't? Yeah. Well, so there's a lot at stake now, you know. You can't just now. Some people do. Some people can just get rid of Jesus. You know, he was a megalomaniac, or he was a weirdo, or uh, you can just do that. But I mean, Jesus is so, so much a part of our culture. Like our our, our presidential nominees at this point, so we're twenty twenty one now. They still have to claim to be Christian if they're going to get elected in this country. Jesus is is certainly important. He's not important enough that people are really interested in understanding him, Christians included. But he is important enough culturally that you have to have him along if you want to be respected on a large national level. At this point, it won't. this will not be the case in 15 to 20 years, but right now it is. So you can't scrap him. But what do you do? Like you can't, he won't just tag along with you either. You know, his claims are too strident. His demands upon us 
as human beings are too demanding. They're, they're, you know, he, he, he wants to be worshipped. He wants us to believe that he died and rose from the dead. That's deeply offensive. That sort of like that 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 undermines my individual right to choose about my own existence. His demands that he is Lord certainly, bare minimum, imply that I am not. And what I want is, as as a contemporary Western human, I'm not speaking as a Christian now. What I want is a Jesus who's along for the ride, who is kind and loving and gives me the cachet in this culture that a fish sticker on the side of my business vehicle will give me. But his demands that he's Lord and I'm not, I can't tolerate that. And so we're, we're, right now we're stuck in a position where there are scholars who say, oh, well, Jesus is a kind man, but he didn't claim to be God, because they want Jesus, but they don't want Jesus. So we began our conversation with the question, who was Jesus? Is that a different question than who is Jesus? No. No, it's not. Uh, I mean, I understand that, yeah. So who was Angela and who is Angela? There, there's some differences there. Angela, can, of course, being your wife. Yes, yes. There's some differences in kind of the perspectives there. But uh, if, if Jesus rose from the dead and is Lord, then he is. Then he is. You know, uh, uh, at one point, the... He and some people are having a discussion about, not necessarily the question we're talking about, but referencing his timeline, he makes some sort of claim that uh, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, or something along those lines in John chapter 8. And they say, wait wait a minute, you don't, uh, he, he doesn't say I'm the God of, he says, basically, I was around at that point. And they're before like- Before Abraham was, yeah, I am? That's right, yeah. That and that's his response is before Abraham was, I am. He is the God who is. If he is God, he is the God who is. That's what God, you know, God is eternal. If there is a God, it's eternal. Um, so, yeah, the, the, you can say who he was when you're reading the Gospels. You can say who he is because it's the same person. So it sounds like we're saying that if we're discussing who was Jesus or who is Jesus, we can talk about him being a good teacher and a fine fellow and all those good cultural things. But unless we come to some kind of understanding on the fact that he is God, we're not going to make much headway. Is, is that what we're saying? Yeah, that, that's actually, you can make headway without coming to that necessarily at the beginning. That's, and this is why he doesn't, it's, it's not important for Jesus to say out loud, I am God during his life. That's something that, the, that you know, that's, that's something that, the disciples, his friends, come to realize after his resurrection. It's not until Jesus is raised from the dead that, you know, one of his friends, Thomas, says to him after the resurrection, looks at him and says, my Lord and my God, which is an astounding claim that none of his friends would have made before he had died and risen from the dead. You actually can start making headway if you just read him for who he is. And the main thing about who he is in the Gospels, which will help you out, if, you're, if any of the listeners are wanting to know who Jesus is, the main thing you can do is go to the Gospels and read them again as the story of a would-be revolutionary, because that's what he is. He uh, announces that the kingdom of God is, is here, which means that the bad king, Herod, Caesar, that lot, are on their way out, and that's his mission, is to start this new alternative kingdom. He's starting a revolution. Um, 
the way that most Jews thought the Messiah was going to do this would, would be to gather up an army and to lead them in battle, glorious, victorious battle against the enemy. Jesus doesn't do that. He allows himself to get arrested, uh, put on trial, and executed. It's not until after his resurrection that his disciples start to, to, to process that and do the math in their head that, oh, the revolution he's starting is actually not a political revolution, but it's a revolution against the dark powers that stand behind the political structure, the, the power of sin and death and the, the, the devil, the enemy. So you, you can actually start getting at that. You don't have to believe in Jesus, even. You know, if, if somebody's listening to me and they don't believe, I would just say, start reading the story and get into it, and you'll start seeing that there are certain necessary conclusions that you have to make. You have often used the metaphor that we've taken God out of the center of the room. Yeah. Or to say, we've taken Jesus out of the center of the room. And by that, I take you to mean that whatever centrality God and or Jesus had in American life, American culture in the past has changed. So debates a hundred years ago on this question would be different than the debates that are happening now, since God is now not in the center of the room. How does that change our approach when we share our thoughts with somebody else, or you preach a sermon for yeah, that matter, yeah. on who was Jesus? Yeah. So if we can back that up a little bit, it's actually not even American culture. The, um, the Enlightenment, the, the, the America was founded on the Enlightenment. So a hundred years ago, the discussions you would be having about Jesus w- would be discussions where you're right, Jesus is not in the center of the room, but science is. You know, sociology teaches us that, of course, uh, these these sorts of religious beliefs are a product of uh, you know the way a culture develops, and they're very very uh, you know particular to the Jews, sort of superstitious. These beliefs about a God dying and rising from the dead. And that was the that was the you know this is the Jesus that Jefferson believed in and and, and a, many many even Christian theologians believed in the 1800s. Now though we live in a world where uh, Jesus isn't in the center of the room, but science no longer is in the center of the room. Rationalism is what I mean is not is no longer in the center of the room. Now I'm in the center of the room, and so when I talk to people about Jesus now, what I'm talking about is a Jesus who insists that. We aren't in the center of the room, but that he is, which is very, very difficult for people to get. But part of, part of what I'm trying to do is to say, look, life makes more sense. There's more purpose and meaning. There's more love. There's more prospect for future happiness. If I'm not in the center of the room and you're not in the center of the room, what are we going to put in the center of the room? You know, let's... Let's see if this God become flesh can actually accomplish for us what we want to accomplish for ourselves, but have no power to. Here's my last question. If there is so much diversity on among us, uh, at least in America, on how we answer the question, who was Jesus, if we're really all over the board, then it s- seems to me that it would be less productive to go into details and specifics, fine points about who Jesus was. Maybe we ought to just sort of stick with the essentials, the basics. Are there, are there basics when, when you realize that you're dealing with somebody who's struggling and wants to answer this question? Yeah. You want to stay elementary, don't you? Um, yeah. So the problem with, 
staying elementary is that people interpret the elementary data in their own way. So I can try and boil it down to its basics, but people are still going to see Jesus the way they want to see Jesus until they can think outside of that box, whether it's you know the Jesus as kind person or the Jesus as the cynic teacher um, or Jesus as a failed messiah, failed revolutionary, um, or Jesus is just unimportant. You know, you can, you're, you can interpret all this data as, um, to fit in, this is what we do with data. We, t- we interpret it to fit in with our preconceived notions. And what I would do is encourage anybody who has these questions, Christian or non-Christian alike, to go back to the story and to read the story. And you're totally free to be skeptical. You can, you can say, I'm not sure if this is true or not. I'm just saying, get into the story and see how the story describes him not just the story of the four Christian Gospels, but the story of the Old Testament leading up to that, and fit him in, see how he fits in to reality as it exists even now. And just see, see if it doesn't make more sense to you than the reality that you've constructed for yourself. Are you a resource? If somebody were to contact you, could you help them out and get them started? Yeah, I uh, would highly recommend, of course, uh, step number one is primary documents. Get yourself into the story itself. Uh, the Christian New Testament. Uh, step number two would be to um, do it in a community with other people who have similar questions, which ho- hopefully any decent gospel-believing church is going to be a community of questioners, people who all want to know Jesus better, people who all have doubts, all have questions. Step number three is there's lots of really, really wise people who are r- ready and willing to guide that community in that pursuit of knowing Jesus. And I can give you some uh, really good names. If uh, um, Just off the top of my head, the name N.T. Wright, if, uh, if you can grab a book by him about Jesus, he, he sees Jesus in a really, really biblical, excellent way. It'd be worthwhile exploring that if you want to explore these new vistas of who Jesus is. Or get a hold of us. Like, um, uh, go to the church website, uh, stjamesglencarbon.org, uh, and click on Contact Us. And... Uh, we're more than willing to, to have these discussions, which we think are really, really fun. Uh, anybody who's listened to our previous episodes knows that Chuck and I like these conversations. Get a hold of us, and we can have those conversations. And we are having fun. We hope you are, too. We say thank you for listening to our Craving Answers, Craving God podcast with Pastor Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. If you would like to contact us, go to stjamesglencarbon.org and click the Contact Us button. You'll be able to leave a message there and ask a question. Thank you for listening.